All right. Yes, we were in the third chapter of Acts. Remember, we were going through the outline of the book. This is the first section. Um, we're not going to go through every section, every part of uh, Acts chapter 3. Um, remember we talked as we ended last week about miracles. What did we say miracles were? We did have a long discussion on what a miracle was. It doesn't have to be supernatural. Well, act of God, but doesn't necessarily have to be supernatural. It would be any kind of act that strengthens the faith of a believer. A miracle is, is something that shows the power of God. So it, we, we don't have to make it overly complicated. We also don't have to take it outside the realm of understandable science. Though some of them are. It's an act of God. That's a miracle. Um... Do miracles happen today? Why don't you think we see them more often? We're not looking. We're not recognizing them. I believe that's a large part of it. Okay, some of us are not taught. Yeah, absolutely. Overthinking. <laughs> well, cover up. I think some of it is because we're expecting everything to have supernatural when it doesn't have to be supernatural for it to be an act of God. God uses his creation to do miracles all the time. And if we're not looking for it, we're not expecting them. You know, that's why people see in like third world countries or less. Uh, educated areas they see miracles happen more often because they expect to see them we don't expect to see them we expect science to heal we expect doctors to do it we expect now it doesn't necessarily mean that god can't use a doctor and that doesn't make not a miracle but we we but we since but we often think because we're looking for something that we can't explain to be a miracle. We don't see miracles because we can explain things. Sure, why not? I mean, the Exodus event was a process of different miracles that happened over a period of time. Just their very survival in the wilderness for, was a somewhat of a miracle. The ten plagues, absolutely. I collect those as miracles. Those are um, some of them are supernatural in origin, and some of them are quite under explainable. Uh, absolutely, but a lot of the 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 like a. Um, a plague of, of locusts is not that unexplainable. 
We can explain that. If we were to see that today, we would say, well, well, the cicadas are waking up after their, and then because of the drought, or the, because of the, the blood and the other issues, it woke up the other ones early, so you have more of them, and we would explain it away. We wouldn't see it as a miracle. Absolutely not. But we would, we would write it off today. Today, we would write it off. It happens all the time. We write things off all the time. Um, and through these miracles, as we, as we look uh, at chapter 3, we're going to see several miracles. Uh, we're going to see um, the Christian community grow together. Um, and as conflict arises, resistance and persecution, uh, word of God spreads. Um, let's look at one of the miracles. I like the miracles in the book of Acts. They're ones that you just can't, I mean, I guess we could probably write it off if we were to study it today, but as it's written, you can't write it off. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A certain man was being carried who was lame from birth. He was placed every day at the gate of the temple called Beautiful so that he could ask for charitable gifts from those going to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to go in the temple courts, he began asking him to receive alms. And Peter looked at him together with John and said, look at us. So he fixed his attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, silver and gold I do not possess, but what I have, this I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And took hold of him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong and leaping uh, up, he stood and began walking around and entered to the temple courts and they, uh, um, with them and walking and leaping, praising God. This is not something that we haven't seen already. Remember, this is Luke writing, so go back and think about what we studied in Luke. This is the same pattern of events we've seen throughout this, if you put the volumes of work. So we, we, this is not something like, oh, wow, this is, this is something we haven't seen before. No, this is exactly what you expect to be seeing in the book of Luke. Because he's already wrote, oh, Jesus is doing it, now the disciples of Jesus are doing it. So we expect to see this. This is something that's patterned already as, as Luke is, is spreading he's, he's, he's this universal Christ to the people that would have been outcast, not even able to go into the temple. They were outside of the temple because he couldn't walk. Now he's able to scream and, and he was out the gates asking for arms and now they're going into the temple and telling people about Jesus Christ. He's able to go into the temple now, walking into the temple. This is the universal Christ being manifested through the disciples of Christ in the book of, of Luke. We saw the, in the, the, the theme of Luke. This is not something that we'd be like, wow, it is amazing. But it's not something we should be unexpecting. As we've read Luke already, we should expect this pattern. If, what would be weird is if we didn't see this. <laughs> because Luke's already had this. So if we didn't have these kind of things in there, it would be like, uh, Luke, are you missing something? 
these kind of patterns. So Peter, he'll heal cripples and betters. He'll speak, uh, carrying the message to pe- people. I'm not going to read all of chapter 3. Um, but we'll see um, that as they're doing these great works and they're proclaiming the message, that the, that the Sanhedrin, remember what the Sanhedrin was? Well, they controlled the police. Well, they were the high priest and the controlling body of Jewish leaders. It was like the, I guess if we're going to put it into our U.S. terms, it was more like uh, it was Congress, executive committee. Um, You had the high priest who was a Sadducee. Uh, You couldn't be a Sadducee unless you were wealthy. Um, he controlled, he was the high priest at this time. Um, we're actually going to see, if you read the, uh, I learned some new stuff in a book I was just finished reading. Um, the uh, book of Second Maccabees, you'll see a, the, um, which is not in our scriptures, and I don't believe it's scriptures, but it has some interesting historical information in it. Um, the... Um, the priesthood was kind of corrupted um, and uh, bought off. And so by the time of Jesus, the priesthood has become like this, this high priesthood is, is a, is a, is a, a paid-for position. <laughs> and uh, so the Sanhedrin led by the high priest who's a, uh, a paid-for position. You have to be wealthy. And then you're on the Sanhedrin, you're going to have Sadducees and you're also going to have um, Pharisees. Um, on the, this group of people that are, are ru- leading over, ruling over the Jewish temple order. And they'd have their own police force um, that was separate but worked with the Roman police force. And they were in charge of making sure things happened underneath Herod's rule. And they had a lot of other things, you know, like keep people from disturbing the peace and keep blasphemers out and um, and to teach and to educate. They were also teachers and educators and did some wonderful things. Make sure the people, you know, they weren't just bad. But, um, but they, they had problems. And so the Sanhedrin began to see Peter and John and they will seize them because of what they're saying. Remember, they're teaching Jesus Christ. And they say, remember, they, they give him a warning the first time, right? Don't speak about Jesus. Actually, they actually tell him, don't speak about anyone. Um, and um, some of the Sanhedrin is sympathetic to, to they don't, they're not believers, but they're sympathetic. At one point, they say, we've killed all the other people claiming to be the Messiah. And their followers split and ran for the hills. Now we've got this people that are not leaving. Something is up. And so that's why the Sanhedrin members, some of them are not believers, and some of them may be believers, but some of them are not believers. Uh, like Nicodemus seems to be part of the Sanhedrin, and he's a believer. So some of them are probably believers, some of them are not believers, but they're like aware that something's up. And some of them are obviously anti-believers. Uh, um, and so... Um, 
they, uh, when, when they saw, the, and so, but they, they tell them, don't teach in anything. Don't teach in, um, um, in, in the, uh, according to the name of Jesus, don't teach anything. And then Peter and John are going to continue preaching uh, in the name of Jesus. And they're going to be arrested and almost killed. And, and this is a pattern that we're going to see throughout the book of Acts, that people are going to be um, at first sympathetic. You know, Paul has a lot of this. They're at first sympathetic, and then the people in power get news of what's being taught, and people are accepting, and then the people start losing their power. That's what it comes down to. Start losing their power, and then they, um, they fade away, and, um, and they're going to get violent with it. And so we're going to see this pattern over and over and over again. But as they are persecuted the word of God is going to spread. Remember, they scatter to the winds to escape persecution and then take Jesus with them. So as where persecution is not directly caused by God and it's not God ordained, it was something that God uses for his glory. So a wonderful example of how God can use even the works of the evil. You know, this is a pattern we saw all the way back in Genesis. <laughs> God can use that evil purposes for his glory. And, um, and so that will happen. For the glory of God. That's right. It's for the glory of God. In other words, stop blaming sin for this problem. Uh, a lot of times we blame sin for, I mean, we do this in our own lives, don't we? We blame our sins for things that happen wrong to us. What did I do wrong? Or you must have done something wrong. Look at Jonah, uh, Job, right? His friends all, well, you've got to be a sinner because this is happening to you. And we see that same kind of theology in a lot of churches, right? If you didn't sin, you wouldn't have this problem. Now, a lot of problems aren't caused by sin. Not necessarily yours, someone else's. Someone else sinned against you and it caused problems. But sometimes it's just stuff happens. Life happens. You know, you didn't, you didn't get cancer because of a sin. You're in a fallen body, in a fallen world, and cancer happens. You know, that's life. We're in a destructive, we're in a, we're in a, a body that's, we're in a place that's actively killing us. Each breath you take is like hitting the reset button, right? Um, well, and that's it. And all the glory does go to him when, um, when, when they do, uh, when, when, when God does intercede and he only intercedes, he can intercede. Like, you think that lame, we, are, we read that story about the lame guy who was at the gate called beautiful, right? You think he was the only one there begging? No. There was probably a string of people there begging. And they looked at this one guy and said, you're healed for the glory of God. The rest of them, what happened to them? Well, they kept begging. And that's not something we like to think about. We like to think, well, God heals everybody, but he doesn't. 
he healed those who were for the purpose of his glory and and the bigger purpose and we don't understand it sometimes and he allows things to happen that don't make sense to us and I wish there was a good theological explanation that make us feel good inside but we just don't have one Oh, absolutely, yeah. Which for that moment that it happened. And then everyone else that was blind from birth wasn't for that moment. <laughs> it was that guy for that moment. Mm. And we don't understand that. I mean, there's, we do, there's something that, and it does bother us. Um, at least it bothers me. I don't know if it bothers you guys, but it bothers me. But uh, I think we should wrestle with these issues. Uh, maybe. I mean, that was just probably part of it. Um, might be something bigger too. Um, we just don't see. I, I like to think I don't see the big picture. I mean, if a butterfly, the chaos theory that we've we, you know we've laid out, right? If a butterfly flaps its wings, it can cause a, a hurricane. Um, which, I mean, we don't see the big enough picture to know what all the everything to predict the future and to see everything that's going to happen. So if God heals one person here, who's to say what that's going to, the ramifications for all of eternity? Or if he chooses not to, how is that going to affect all of eternity? We don't see that, um, we don't see that big picture. And... Yeah, right? That universe. Just, there's just no way we can see it. Um, and we, we try. And I think we should try. You know, it's good for us to ask these big questions. But the reality is we, there's no way we can actually make sense of all this. His glory, that's right. That's right. If he didn't accept Christ,
Yep, he's already receiving his best life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's turn to chapter 5. We have a fun story in chapter 5 that often makes us go, what's going on? Now a certain man named Ananias, together with his wife, uh, Sapphira, sold a piece of property and they kept back for himself some of the proceeds. And his wife was aware of it. And he brought in certain part and placed it on the feet of the apostles. But Peter said, Ananias, for what reason has Satan, has the adversary, filled your heart that you lied to the Holy Spirit and kept back some of the proceeds of the piece of land? When it um, rema- uh, remained to you, did you not did it not remain yours? And then it was sold; it was at your disposal. How have you contri- um, contrived to this deed in your heart? You have not lied to the people. But to God. Then when Ananias heard these, he fell down and died. Um, kind of a curious story, isn't it? They're giving everything, uh, the community, it's not, uh, well, first of all, if we can't say this is not preaching socialism. The community of believers is taking care of the community of believers. It's not. The community of believers taking care of everyone in the world. It was the community of believers taking care of the community of believers. Family taking care of family. So there's a big difference there. But then they, they were given the property, anyone who had need, they were selling property off and then giving it so that everyone had enough and that they were, um, it almost seems like they were waiting for the end times, like they were expecting them to happen like right then. Um, something we're still waiting on, which I just watched a video on YouTube today that it's happening next year. So, well, he was wrong the first time. He said 2021, but he's since revived his date, so it's happening next year. Um, so, I, um, I, I believe him this time. Got it wrong the first time. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, I can handle it. <laughs> uh, but um, then, uh, yeah, so the tribulation is going to happen um, after the, so we should be take, ready for the, the be taken up um, this this year or next, you know, so that we're, we're ready. Um but um, 
But it does seem like they were, they, you know, they thought it was going to happen in their lifetimes. I haven't met a, I haven't read about a generation yet that thought it wasn't going to happen in their lifetimes. Uh, I remember having a conversation with my great grandma. She said I, she was getting to the point where she was almost dying, and she said, "I never thought I would get this old. I thought Jesus was coming back." Uh, of course, Jesus was her last dying words. Uh, so we were at the hospital with her on that one. Um. Dodge City, Kansas. Um, but, um, yeah. Um, but they were giving stuff. And so these this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they, they, they're going to sell property. And they want to keep some of the money for themselves. But they're going to say that they're giving it all. Uh, and, uh, and we have this curious thing where they just where God kills them because they lied to God. It says, Satan, the adversary, has filled your heart. Um, there is an interesting, I mean, Peter's like, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit here? You're not lying to me. I don't, you know, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. You could have kept the money for yourself or even just said, hey, I want to give part of the money. I don't want to give it all. You've just been honest about it. No one said you had to give it all. I don't want to preach, but there's a preachable moment right there. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times we say we want to, you know, like we don't want to do it. But then we say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give my all. I'm going to, I'm, I'm getting this swimming pool so we can do baptisms at my. God's not, you know, well, stop lying and saying, you know, just be honest, you know. You want a swimming pool because you like to swim. That's okay. <laughs> um, you know, God doesn't expect us to, to, to lie to him, you know. We have wants, desires, and, and needs, and, 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 you know, hey, I'm not giving, you know, like you sell your property, hey, I'm not giving you everything I've got. I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm going to keep some of this for myself I'll, because I want to. I don't need any other reason than I want to. We always make excuses, though, don't we? We make a lot of excuses for what we do. I'm doing this because of this and this and this. No, you're not. You just don't want to. I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and, and they're, just, they're just just being honest with, you know, and there's, there's a big thing, but you're not being, it's not that you're being dishonest with each other. That's the real problem. Actually, lying in the Bible actually is, doesn't always end up in the bad. I mean, look at um, Joseph the trickster. He actually lies quite a bit. Or Abraham. Or uh, Abraham, you know, he lies to Pharaoh. Said, this is my sister, not my wife. Not my sister wife, my sister. Um, and, then Lephana, and then he's blessed by it. He gets all kinds of stuff for it. Lying doesn't always end up bad in the scriptures. But the Bible says, stop lying to, to God. You know, stop lying to God. I think we need to take that in heart, right? We pray, just be honest with God. When we doubt, when we're angry, when we're upset, when we're hurt, when we're, we don't like him, <laughs> when we love him, when we, just be honest. 
stop lying to the Holy Spirit. And there's, there seems to be a big deal when you, a big price for when you pay the E for lying, not for lying to God. The bigger question I have here is why don't we get struck down more often? Got to be because of grace. But why this one time? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, we, we could say, yeah, it was because the church was new and they were setting, and God was setting a standard. But we don't know why this particular time God struck them down. And then the next time that something happens, because you know there was a next time, God didn't. Great fear. They were... Absolutely. But... We do know that happened. And I would be afraid, too, if God just started striking people dead. I really, I really do think the question is, why doesn't he do it more often? <laughs> we always joke about why the ceiling doesn't strike down some people down when they come into the church. <laughs> uh, but uh, Yeah. Why that one instance that God, she disobeyed Lot's wife. She turns around, she disobeys God. But yet there's a whole other section where they disobey God and nothing happens to them. Why that one instance? <laughs> God's glory is all we can say. Could have been. Could have been because they were already spared. Um, yeah, absolutely. But why that one? We just can't. This goes back to that bigger picture that we just can't know. Um, Um, yeah, he's going to choose. He is sovereign. I just think sometimes we have, we ask these questions, why? Over and over, Gomer's wife, absolutely. <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, and he heard that, and this, this is why we need to just be honest with him. We we can't hide from him, and we lie to him all the time. I didn't really commit that sin. I didn't do that because we're trying to lie to ourselves. Often, we're trying to lie to ourselves or someone else in the church. But God already knows it. Why are we fighting with this? <laughs> Only a pink lie, which is what? A little worse than a white lie, but not quite a red lie. Chapter 6. Chapter 6 is an important one because it shows the disciples are busy studying, spreading the word, doing the stuff the disciples are supposed to be doing. What they don't do is try to do it all on their own. They institute the deacons and the deaconesses, which were people not to rule the church, which sometimes we get confused with in, this, um, in some of our churches. These people were to serve the church. This is what a deacon was, was service. That's what the word means, is servants. They were to serve the church. And uh, they, in this particular case, it's because the Greek and the Hebrew uh, Jews were not being treated equal. There were... The Hebrews were looking down upon the Greek Jews, and they weren't treating them equal. So they uh, they said, well, we need to get some people specifically for these people that are being overlooked. And so they, they, they instituted these deacons, these servants, to institute them. And interesting enough, as they institute it, the disciples are actually going to be on hold for the next, what, three three stories? It's three stories, and it's going to be the deacon <laughs> that are the focus. Stephen. As, um, as uh, you know, they, uh, um, as, as they are serving. Is this a looking down upon the disciple? I heard one person arguing that because the disciples weren't serving like they were supposed to, the next stories were about the, uh, the servants that were, and I don't think that's accurate. I think it was just showing that God is using more than just the disciples as the disciples are saying, we can't do this all on our own. We need more people to step up and do things. Um, And so people were stepping up, and they were serving, and they were using their gifts. Because the disciples, their gifts were, they were the apostles. They were teaching and preaching and studying and spreading the word of God. That's what they were there for, leading. They were looking for people with the service, the gift of service, to serve and make sure the widows and the orphans and those who could not take care of themselves were getting taken care of. 
in a society where women couldn't even own property except in some rare occasions. Um, there were occasions where women could own property. Let's say it's not never, but it wasn't a predominant thing. Um, and orphans, of course, didn't have any property because their parents didn't pass them on anything. In a society where everything was passed on through your family lineage, You couldn't even prove your lineage. I want to say at this time period it was seven generations. You were looked down upon. Um, I want to say it was seven generations at this particular time period. Is it ten? Well, I think, but I want to say at this particular, this particular time period it was seven. But at other periods, it was because it changes over different time periods. Uh, ten, seven, three, as long as you know who your parents were. <laughs> um, different. This is something that is not laid out in the scriptures. Prove yourself up to how many generations. This is something that is cultural. And um, I want to say this that seven, but I'm, it may be ten. I don't know that for sure. Um, but yeah, you had to prove who your family lineage was so that you could, otherwise you were looked down upon. You weren't even seen as a real Jew. Or Judahite, person from Judah. Um, they weren't really using the word Jew at this time period, but. But anyways, so they, they, they say, and Stephen, one of the seven, a man, it says, is full of God's grace and power. Now, he's going to be stoned by the Sanhedrin. He's going to be the first martyr for the Christian faith. I think it's interesting that it's not one of the twelve. Why? I want to say it's because the Sanhedrin couldn't get to the 12 yet. They were still too powerful. They were still too, too looked upon. I think they were grabbing someone who was lesser in the structure chain of the Christian faith, or the, the Jewish Christians, and so they're grabbing someone that was lesser in their organizational structure, um, someone they thought they could get away with. Um, but that's a personal opinion. The Bible does not lay that out. Um, but Stephen is stoned, and according to tradition, and according to the scriptures, Paul is there as well, holding the coats of those who are doing the stoning. And remember, stoning is one of those okayed forms of execution. According to the Roman rule, you're actually not supposed to uh, execute anyone to death. Only the Romans could put someone to death. So, but they were still stoning people according to their religious faith, and they were getting away with it as long as they weren't doing it like capital crime kind of thing. It was only for like religious crimes. Um, and 
stoning at this time period, they would either chain you up and lump stones at you till you're dead and piled up on stones on top of you, or they'd push you off a wall and throw stones down on you. And that's what stoning was. Now, later on, and we just covered that, we just talked about this on Sunday because we're going through the book of Acts. Paul lives through one of these things. So it's not a, he lived through it. They left him for dead. Um, this is not something you would get over. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, it's amazing Paul doesn't have PTSD from this, you know. <laughs> um, Yeah, he's, it says that he held the coats of those doing the stoning. Uh, well, absolutely. Those in the front are going to be taking the beating, but it's, uh, I, I do think they chose him instead of one of the 12 was because the 12 were still too, too strong in the organizational structure. I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're, you're going to kill someone, right, or arrest someone, or try to take down a, a, a organization, you don't go after the strongest ones first. You go after the lieutenants and the, and work your way up. And so Stephen gets to be the first one because they're working their way up towards the, the twelve, which they will eventually kill, right? Paul and Peter and James and James is going to be the first of the twelve to die. Uh, well, John actually, well, if you hold to tradition, he was uh, boiled and tar in tar, lived through that, then ex uh, excommunicated in the island of Patmos to be left for dead. Um, when you're excommunicated, you have to have people... Like, you can live a comfortable life if you have no rich people that will bring you food. But they put you on this place knowing that most people don't have that, and you're going to either starve to death, or the other criminals that are already on the island are going to kill you. Um, you know, everyone expected John to die on that island. Uh, of course, going to tradition, he, he eventually dies too. You know, we all die. <laughs> but, um, yeah, all of them will go down with, with persecution according to tradition. Though the scriptures doesn't actually have um, any of those deaths in there. Um, maybe because they hadn't happened yet. Or maybe because... Tradition is wrong. I, you know, <laughs> uh, we don't know these things. Um, we know James dies. That's in the scriptures. But was Peter hung upside down on the cross because he didn't want to die like Jesus? That's not in the scriptures. That's a tradition that's been held true. Sure, why not? 
<laughs> I mean, we, we, there's just no way we can know something like that other than through tradition. Um, but, I mean, we look back in the Old Testament, we hold to certain things, like uh, Jeremiah was sawed in, two, in half, um, escaping from people as he was in Egypt, and they he hid in a log and sawed in half, according to tradition. Did that really happen? I don't have a clue. I like the story. But, um, yeah. Um, let's move on. Acts 8 through 12. Uh, we won't finish this section, I don't believe, today, but that's okay. Um, 8 through 12, we're going to see witness of Christ, Saul the persecutor, uh, and the conversion of Paul. This is going to be one of the most important points of the book of Acts. Is the conversion of Saul. Um, Saul will call himself one of the apostles because he has seen Jesus. Um, After the stoning of Stephen, believers in Jerusalem scattered to the story, uh, the scattered. Philip is one of those examples. Luke does not follow everyone that happened and tell us every story that happens, but he tells us and he gives us an example in the person of Philip. And... Um, and they took new ones. Philip is one of the seven helpers, one of the deacons of the Church of Jerusalem. And he goes to the capital of Samaria, uh, which was a place shunned by most Jerusalem Jews. Once again, stressing the universal Christ. Um, but... Acts chapter 1, verse 8 said that Jesus was for Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. Philip is the one who will bring it to Samaria. And if you're following, if you use that Acts chapter 8 as an outline for the book, this is the point where you've gone past the main Jerusalem, Judea area, and you're beginning the outward expansion to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Um. Many are uh, healed and preached about Jesus as they travel. Um, I like a story that is in there, and I didn't write it down on there, but um, Simon the Sorcerer. It's one of the stories of Philip. Um, it's kind of a fun story, isn't it? You have this famous magician, not like Houdini. We're not talking that kind of famous magician. He's a, a famous healer, maybe even a fortune teller. Uh, maybe does curses. We don't know. But he probably sees he could cast out demons, uh, make amulets. 
we might refer to them as like a witch doctor today or something like that. That might be kind of more in our heads what, what, they're, what, what he was. Um, he has some kind of magic powers, and he's not shy about using them. Uh, in a world of polytheism, he would have been seen as divinely empowered, maybe even uh, hosting one of the divine beings. And God may have been even incarnating within him, according to the Greco-Roman mythology. This is perfectly acceptable. Um, so anyways, um, he makes a public profession of faith and is baptized. Um, does Simon really convert? This is one of those questions that we can't answer, but it leaves the question open. What is actual conversion? Does public confession and baptism actually save one? And uh, what was his heart? We can't know this. We do know um, that it is called to question when Peter and John arrive that he, he, you know, he offers them money so that he can have power just like them. He wants that power. Now, does he believe in Jesus and just wants to, and is falling back into his old pattern of behavior? Or did he never really believe? We can't answer that. Uh, though people have tried for years, but there's no, we can't answer that. We're not God. <laughs> we can't see into the heart of person. But the scriptures leave that question wide open for us to wrestle with it. I think so that we can wrestle with it in our own selves. Am I really a believer? Or am I... Uh, is it real for me? Is it, you know... Um, I think that question is open in there. Uh, but he does. He wants to, um, to, to purchase this power. Uh, uh, Simony is actually um, the buying or selling of a church office for privilege uh, becomes a normal normal word for many years. Um, and some people argue that it's never actually left. That we've never actually left the idea that uh, church positions are bought and paid for. Uh, we definitely wouldn't argue that was hap wasn't happening in, um, in in politics. Um, but if politics is a um, but if the church is po political, you know, buying selling positions is something that happens. It did happen in the Jewish church with the with the high priest. Um, we should expect it in the in the Christian church as well. Um, but Maybe. I mean, we don't know. Yeah, 
We, 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 but, but it does, we like to give them the benefit of the doubt, don't we? Um, but we don't know. I mean, believers and non-believers have to repent. <laughs> um, so there's just these things that we can't answer. Um, anyways, his name becomes synonymous with heresy. Um, he's listed as one of the first, um, by the Catholic Church, becomes listed as one of the first false believers. Um, because they say he never did believe. Um, People that claim uh, him are uh, just for show, all religion, no faith. Definitely could have been that way. Um, it's full of bitterness. But that does not mean he didn't really believe in Christ. But his fruit was not there. So... Yeah, at that moment. We don't know. Uh, according to many people, he didn't. And other people say he did. Mm -hmm. oh, sure. Simeon couldn't save himself. You know, we can argue this all day long. The reality is we are not God. And I'm thankful I'm not God. <laughs> um, but, but according to some tradition, he's been listed as the first non-believers. And according to um, other tradition, he was someone who had not developed into his faith yet, though he believed. Um, I think I've always come on the side that he was probably just looking for power and he was not a true believer. That's where I've always come down on the side of the argument, but I'm not God. To get power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why I've always come down on that he wasn't a true believer, but I'm not God. I'm not going to say he wasn't. I just... Um, saying that, um, anyways, uh, but his name does become synonymous with heresy. Um, but in this area, um, because of all this going on and the power of, 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 of uh, Philip and, and uh, Peter and John, um, Samaritan Jews of mixed descent, um, begin to come to Christ. Not the first one in the Bible, though, is it? Who's the first Samaritan to come to Christ? The lady at the well. And then he, there were others in that group. Go, they, she went and told everyone, come listen to this rabbi. So Jesus had already laid the groundwork, and then Philip is pulling it on, and then Peter and John are sent to Samaria to investigate whether the Holy Spirit was actually moving in that area. And they find out, yes, it's true. No. Uh, his first public miracle was the turning the wine into water, water into wine. 
No, it would have been a pretty public event. It was a, a wedding, which were um, pretty public events at the time period. Um, Philip then follows on. He goes to the, uh, it says he sent, uh, which is interesting. He's not like, well, I think I'm going to travel somewhere. It says the Holy Spirit sends him. God sends him on this way. He goes to the Jerusalem-Gaza road, this road from, that goes between Jerusalem and Gaza, and there he meets uh, the treasurer of the Queen of Ethiopia, the Ethiopian eunuch, um, who is returning home after a pilgrimage. And Philip finds him reading what? What's he reading? Isaiah chapter 53, the, the main suffering servant, not the only one part of the suffering servant, but the main suffering servant passage, which a lot of your Hebrew Bibles today in Jerusalem have taken that passage out of the Bible. It's too easy to, 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 to witness from Jesus through it. I was talking to a Messianic Jew. I was amazed when I learned this. I was at a convention, and I was talking to a Messianic Jew that was handing out um, Hebrew translations. They had gone, and they had translated the Bible in the, you know, the full Bible. Uh, they, it had the Torah in it, but they translated the New Testament into Hebrew. And in it, it also had Isaiah 53. Um, and one of the first place he's telling me this, one of the first places that they begin is, have you read Isaiah 53? And a lot of them will say, no, I, there is no Isaiah 53. And why isn't there Isaiah 53? It's been taken out. And they said, let's read Isaiah 53 in the beginning, and then they talk about what the suffering servant is, in the G, in, which is Jesus Christ. And that was... What? Uh, well, there is arguments about that, absolutely. Um, now, I don't want to get into all the details of that, but there are passages even in our Bibles that may have been changed before we translated into English, and there's a big argument dealing with like the age of Set in one of the genealogies that may have been changed because it led too easy to Jesus, and so they changed the age because the Samaritan Pentateuch has it as a different age. And so it may have been changed. And I don't want to get into all the details of that, but there's, there's a lot of things that, that might have been changed as they were combating Christianity. Um, so... Yeah, so he's reading Isaiah 53, and um, the passage tells of an innocent victim willing to die to atone for the sins of others. And the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, he's, of course, they wouldn't be like, he didn't have a Bible out and it's all the 53 or anything like that. That's not how these worked. It was a scroll. And you were, he was, so he had been towards the end of the scroll, so he's probably worked his way through the scroll of Isaiah, and he'd been reading it, rolling it up as he goes, and and he gets to the section, and 
And Philip looks over and says, you know, hey, do you understand what you're reading there? And he goes, how can I if no one tells me? And, um, and Philip, from that moment, is able to, um, to tell about Jesus and how he died for the sins of others. Um, and, um, and Philip will um, baptize him right there in the river. Um, and then it says... When the Spirit of the Lord came up, you know, we're not going to get to that. And when the Spirit of the Lord came up, uh, Philip was carried away. The Ethiopian did not see him any longer, and he went on his way rejoicing. Um, it says he was, Philip was, uh, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. There's been a lot of argument in, over history about what that means. Some people say, well, he just got up and left. <laughs> you know, said bye, and he left, went on his way. Some people, there's, there was an argument that he was caught up in a tornado, hurricane, and lifted away. Uh, there was another one that, um, you know, the aliens have come and adapted him and put him down somewhere else. Um, um, a, lot of, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of talk over this passage, uh, but he was carried away. The uh, Holy Spirit carried him away, and he went away, and he will uh, travel... Uh, preach in every town, and he turns up later on, um, and he 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 reaches Caesarea where he'll settle and with his wife and has daughters. By Acts chapter twenty one, he's married, has kids, settled down. Um, so, all right. Well, it's already past seven o'clock, and I told you guys I'd have you out till seven. I know we're having too much fun, huh? Uh, so we will pick up. With uh, yeah, well, we'll pick up with the the map next. I don't know, my batteries just went dead. Yeah, that one. Um, we'll pick up with this one next time, where we start talking about the missionaries going out. Uh, yeah, all this fun stuff here. I love maps. I don't know if you guys noticed that. <laughs> um, so um, this map right here shows the diaspora after the persecution where they spread and take the word of God with them. Um, and this one is the travels of Philip and Anyways, we'll come back to all that. So, and then we'll talk about Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? All right. Um, anything else we want to say? Problems, concerns? All right. Let's go ahead and pray and be out of here. Father God, we praise you today, Lord. We thank you for this wonderful blessing you've given us. Lord, we ask that you just speak to our hearts. Lift us up and carry us through in your, your life and your love. Help us to be uh, in your will and your study. and um, Help us to accept those things we can't understand and continue to ask questions for those we can. Um, continue to teach us. 
until we find ourselves in glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.